Welcome to the Revolution Podcast, a joint project of the Education Trust and New Teacher Center. Here we engage leaders in conversations around how we navigate these uncharted times in our schools in a way that truly revolutionizes the learning opportunities our students experience daily. In today's conversation with Dr. Tangie Reed Marshall of the Education Trust, we engage in topics related to educator mindsets and relationships with students necessary for revolutionary education for all students. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. I'm Erica Reese with the New Teacher Center, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Tangie Reed Marshall, the Director of P12 Practice at the Education Trust. Tanji, I'm so glad to be speaking with you today. Erica, I'm excited as well to speak with you today. Let's just go ahead and get started. Yes, let's get into it. We definitely want to start with you telling our listeners about yourself and your work. As you said, I am the Director of Practice at the Education Trust. The Education Trust is a national organization. We've been around for 30 years, and we focus on disrupting the negative impacts of educational injustice. We focus on equity, um, every level from early childhood all the way through college. Thanks for sharing that. I know that we are very familiar with a lot of your resources. We also know that you led the equity and emotion assignment analysis work with Education Trust. We've used this resource with multiple cohorts of school leaders. And for many of them, this is the first time that they've really looked at the assignments being put in front of students. I'd love for you to share with us how can educators use resources like that or that specific one to really strengthen the work that they're doing with students. We need to back up and really think critically and analytically about the work we actually give students. You know, as a loop closer in the educational cycle, we look at instruction and we look at what kids give us. Well, the back end of that loop starts with what we've already given them. And we also look at the amount and quality of scaffolding. You know, scaffolding is something we think every student needs. And there are some times that students need them, but we make the mistake of believing every kid needs every assignment scaffolded at all times. One of the things we look at when we think about assignment scaffolding is how much and how many. You know, I'm reminded of a student who was um, reading. And you know how sometimes authors like to put parentheticals in a sentence, and this student was like, Miss Marshall, you know, I really don't know what's going on here. And, you know, I have my usual scaffolds ready to go. And I said, you know what, let's just wait a minute. Let me go ask the student what they need. And it came to find out it was something very simple. He was getting lost with the parentheses. So it was something as simple as teach the student how to read with the parentheticals in place. And as soon as I was able to do that one in-time support and back away, he was off and on the road. But sometimes we think we know what they need before we've asked them what they need. And with that, and thinking of uh, your organization's history and like rich history around policy and practice, and then being able to meet the, the needs of the moment, I'm curious about how in your, in your words, how your organization is responding to both the impacts of COVID-19 right now, as well as the national reckoning and calls for social justice aligned to the more recent acts of police brutality resulting in protests, and really the calls and commitment uh, to ensuring that our educators are anti-racist. I think one of the things that we've done that's been most, I think we're probably most proud of is pushing on the CARES Act and really helping school districts understand how to use the money they're getting from the CARES Act to be 
equity focused. It's really important that we were able to help districts think about, districts and states think about how they can use their CARES Act money, really looking at the intersections of social, emotional, and academic development on the relationship side, really helping schools get a sense, schools and districts rather, get a sense of how can they leverage this environment of distance learning in ways that are impactful to students. We did a podcast just recently, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times, asking system leaders, how are they approaching this you know, new landscape? And we learned that people are really asking questions about how do we educate every child? We are asking people to think about the supports that they are giving to our English learners and our emerging bilinguals, asking our leaders to help us understand what's happening with our students who have disabilities, asking our leaders to, how are they communicating with parents, right? How are they communicating with students who may be at risk for not returning? So we have really been asking districts and schools on all fronts, you know, what has been their plan? So we've been really, asking lots of questions in lots of different spaces and um, really trying to help advocates also think about how they can go about their work to ensure that students are getting the kind of continuous education that's high quality and rigorous and great aligned as we move into this digital space and stay here for a while. I know at, at New Teacher Center, we've been also thinking, we've been thinking along the lines of that and then also thinking about what does it mean to use this as an opportunity to revolutionize our schools and the fact that we just know that our schools have long failed to meet the needs of underserved students. I'm curious, in your words, how can we live into the changes required by the pandemic, required by this moment, to actually start serving our students well? I think one of the key things, and I said this, I've said it a lot, just like in my own head, but like in, in whoever will listen to me, that we have to be grown up and mature enough to admit these disparities exist for certain students because we all agree that they should. So these disparities wouldn't exist if we truly valued every single child. But in our country, we know historically there are certain people who are valued and certain others who are not valued. We are face-to-face -face with our value system right now, and it's not looking pretty good. So one of the things that we need to do right now, first and foremost, is number one, name that we have all allowed this to happen, right? Let's, let's all stop there and like sort of level set the playing field. Like the playing field is what's existing. It does so because we have allowed it to because we're kind of okay with certain kids being at and above grade level and certain kids not being there because inherently we believe that they don't, they don't all can do it. That TNT report that came out, 82% of teachers, and when you ask them, did they believe that all kids should have access to rigorous you know, standards aligned work, 82% said yes. But in that same group, only 44% believe the kids who sat in front of them believed the same thing. So we have a real serious belief gap. So number one, let's deal with that. Let's name it and deal with that. Number two, let's all begin to understand and realize that every student does not learn the same way. So we need to begin to understand 
We have to prepare students to be thinkers and understand that we need to decide what kind of citizen we want to enter the world after 12 years of education in the public sphere. And if what we're doing hasn't worked and it hasn't, then we need to go back and ask some important questions. What do we want from a civically engaged, civically minded student? What kind of English language arts processes do we want students to be able to demonstrate? What kind of mathematical thinking do we want? What kind of science do we want? What's happening in the arts? We talk about integration of all of these topics and subjects, yet we still hold social studies and science almost as an elective. We still hold the arts as an elective. If we're talking about a well-rounded student, a student who is ready to enter the world competent and able to make decisions on their own, then we have to decide to be revolutionary is to really begin an integrated approach to subject matter, teaching matter, and student production matter. The adults have to really come into integrated relationships with students regarding their learning. I know that the kids and the teachers don't have a say-so in who each other gets, but even in that, there has to be a level of intellectual respect on behalf of the teacher toward the student. Do we really, really respect the intellectual capacity of our children? And we don't. We can all admit that. I know we don't want to, but we don't. And our outcomes have shown it. The, the real imbalanced outcomes have shown what we believe about our students. And so that those are not as concrete as folks would like them because people really want a nice, neat package. But we have to do some baseline work on the adult side, right? If we talk about, you know, the, the anti-racist piece of this, right? So the anti-racist piece of this starts with the adult, not with the children. And that does remind me of something you said in our recent webinar for our opening of this um, revolutionized schools campaign, where you said being equitable really is about what you're willing to stand for and what you're willing to act against. Can you share more about what you meant by that? Are you willing to stand up and be a teacher who knows their content? Are you willing to stand up and be a teacher who is reflective on their practice and step into that space and know when you have used your instructional power in ways that are negative and disenfranchising? and protecting of your position? Are you willing to challenge the curriculum that you've been given? Because you're gonna talk about, yay, I want culturally sustaining pedagogy, but my curriculum is still advancing a singular Eurocentric story that marginalizes and erases and shelves whole groups of people. So are you willing to stand up for that? But then are you willing to stand up against the ideologies that you hear in your buildings? Are we going to stand up against our colleagues who we know are purposefully undereducating and miseducating students? 
Are we willing to stand up against the educators that we know are intentionally maintaining low expectations for our students, intentionally not getting to know our students and understanding the interdependencies and intersectionalities that they identify with every day and live in? You started to talk about like what does it mean to get to know students, and I want to dig in there, especially in this remote environment as we're moving into reopening. How might teachers and leaders build relationships in a fully remote environment with the understanding of the need to get to know students? One of the things that we have to do is pay attention to our students. Now, as in my graduate work, there was a professor. He did amazing work. He had this thing called the music survey, which um, he used to help teachers get a sense of whether they were providing the kind of instruction that their students needed. Paying attention to the music survey and the results that come out of that survey and then administering it again to see, oh, am I adjusting my work to help respond to my students? You know, one of the things when I was interviewing students earlier in the times, probably back in April, one of the students said to me, I like that my teachers are being real and authentic. She said, she's a, you know, she really appreciated her teachers and her leaders in the building being more human. Be your human self. I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces now is because we're, we're in this digital space and, and we have to think about how to relate and connect and, and come to life in this space. The more you can be your human self and authentic self, the more you are on track to building that authentic relationship. And uh, I believe it was June, early June, we invited you to our organization um, to really speak about accelerated learning and its importance to really help us support our partners. I'm completely appreciative of that. And I definitely want to make sure our, our listeners here, can you speak to why accelerated learning is so critical as students are returning to school this fall? When we talk about the learning, and, and there's been so much that's been said, and we have sort of gotten into this panic mode, that people are panicking and really, really concerned about where kids are going to quote unquote be when they get back to school. Kids aren't being retained, right? So you can't go back to where they were because now they're all in a new grade. So you need to start them in the grade where they are. You know, you heard that term, we build the plane as we fly it, or we fly it as we build it, we do those things together. You have to start at the grade level. The surest way to make sure that a student is on grade level is to start them on grade level. And you apply the support in the moment so that you can give them their prerequisite skills that they need in time. And you've got to know, well, okay, well, if I'm doing, you know, fractions, I'm adding fractions, well, then what did they need in order to get to the fraction? I'm not going to start all the way back and circle all the way forward. It takes too much time. So I'm going to look at the skill or the, the content needed now and decide what has to be used to help kids get to where they need to be. And this idea that somehow kids lost it all, well, you can't lose what you haven't been taught, right? And so I, I and I know, you know, the, the language that we're hearing, we're hearing a lot of language around the loss of learning. You know, you can't lose what hasn't been taught to you yet. And so we have a lot of unfinished learning. We have a lot of unfinished instruction, a lot of unfinished teaching. To stem the tide of that, we want to make sure that students have grade level instruction and they get the support that they need 
through either targeted tutoring, you might do some real targeted tutoring and then bringing kids back whole, but we don't want to go all the way back and circle forward. It takes too long, right? And so we've got to make sure that we are not responsible for exacerbating learning gaps and content gaps, gaps in actual content information. Thank you. I definitely wanted to make sure our listeners got to hear that. And we appreciate when you came and shared that with us. One of New Teacher Center's major goals in hosting this podcast is to really live into the change required to meet the needs of, of each individual student in our schools right now. And so I'm curious, as we are wrapping this up, what is your call to action for listeners tomorrow, next week, and next month? No pressure. Mm, no, no pressure. <laughs> I'm going to use the acronym RESPECT, and that means revolutionized education. That deals also with relevance, it deals with rigorous, and it deals with relationships. And so if you are trying to be revolutionary, my call to action is to live in this notion and the premise that every single child's intellect matters. Thank you. And with that, I definitely am going to thank you for your time, Tangie. Uh, thank you so much for spending time in this conversation with me. I know that educators listening across the country are going to be inspired to act um, based off of your guidance. And we just really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you for joining us on the Revolution Podcast, sponsored by the Education Trust and New Teacher Center. To engage more deeply in our work, please visit our Revolution Campaign website at www.newteachercenter.org.